0: Chasing donkeys. I think <laughs> our last, uh, the last person we're going to study is Jesus. So we said before the great ones always had their time chasing donkeys. And so he's no different. The Bible says that he set aside all of his earthly prominence. He made himself of no reputation. Took upon himself the form of a man. As such, he humbled himself to the Father, so that he could be guided through life by the unseen hand of God, just as we all are, uh, or we should be. That's that's our goal, and that's how we live the prosperous and the blessed life. Is that we be led by the Spirit of God into all righteousness, all of the things that God has ordained for us, uh, and we can accomplish everything God has for us to accomplish. You know, it's nice to be on time with. Everything God gives you to do Many times we think we're being delayed Or we're being overlooked Or something like that But we're always on time If you've been obeying the spirit of God You're on time Never get anxious about uh, anything that God's given you to do or put upon your plate to do or blessed you to participate in. Because you, if you obey the Spirit of God, you will get there, you'll accomplish, and you will be there on time. So we pick up the story of Jesus. I thought I would skip the part about his birth because we're very familiar with these stories. But I would point out some very important aspects of his growth and development uh, so that you can understand what's important for your Christian growth. I think we don't talk about these things perhaps enough uh, in church. We move on to things that pertain to you know how you're going to live from day to day. You know We kind of beat that, that, uh, <laughs> that horse to death about how to prosper, uh, how to have this, how to get that, how to get the other thing. It's a good thing to have peace about God's provision in your life. The one way you get it is through constant contact with him. You can't have peace about anything God's doing for you if you don't have communication and constant fellowship with him. And I think this is something that we can say was number one on Jesus' list of how he lived and how he lived a life obedient to the Father because that was his his time of chase. His donkeys was, was obeying the Father and listening to what the Father uh, told Him to do and be obedient in all things. And Luke chapter, I think I'll go there, Luke chapter 2, uh, we'll go there to see the early growth of Jesus. And Luke chapter 2. Mm. Why don't we go to verse 27. I think we'll pick up where he was. His parents had brought him to the temple to be dedicated. Uh, They brought the proper sacrifice for him. Um, Jesus was born to parents who were godly parents. But it appears that they were of somewhat modest means. You know they weren't wealthy people. Um, Many people try to ascribe earthly wealth to Jesus. But. If it was given to you to him you don 't know that he held on to it see this is this is the thing that we have to get clear on. He made himself of no reputation, and it wasn 't just one time, but throughout his life, he was a man of no reputation. He let his work speak for him. he let his character speak for him. he let the father speak for him, and so when you when you divorce yourself of self and the desire for the world's good, so forth and so on, um, then that's something that's in your character, that's in your nature. You don't just go back and grab the world's wealth because you can. it's offered to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, this is something that we have to be very, very clear on and careful of lest it become a snare for us because it will be a snare if we feel that we can justify our desire for earthly goods because we can find a scripture where it says the the you know wise men offered him gifts you don't know if he kept them you got me we do know that when he was dedicated at the temple his parents brought the sacrifice of of uh, relatively poor people from the lowest uh, economic level of their society. They brought two turtle doves. Why didn't they bring a lamb or a bull? You got me? Because they weren't living at that stature. Others will tell you, well, you know, the, those gifts were given to him later. But you can't prove he held on to those things. You got me? Later in his ministry, he said, I don't have a place to lay my head. Which means that I'm, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not connected to this world's goods when he was being tempted by Satan the devil can only tempt you with things that you lack and so Satan tempted him with kingdoms and gold and possessions and all those things and he turned them down. Why? His heart's not tied into that stuff. You get me? And so what God wants to get across to us is your heart can't be tied into this world in any way. This world's goods, reputation, possessions, any of that stuff. A pure heart is connected to the Father and the Father alone. And so in Luke uh, one twenty seven. I'm sorry, 2.27. It says, uh, let me see. He's coming into the temple and there are two people who have been waiting on a promise of God to be fulfilled. That are named here in the Bible. There are probably more there, but Simeon is one and is another one. These were people who were devout people that God had promised a blessing. That since they were so connected to God and so devout in God that they would... Not depart this earth until they had seen the Messiah. And they were both very well up in age. And so in verse 27. He came by the spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus. To do for him after the custom of the law. Then took he up him in his arms. And blessed God and said. Lord now let your servant depart in peace according to your words. For my eyes have seen thy salvation. Now these are people who are living a a natural life. But they're so connected in the spiritual things. He knew who Jesus was as a baby when he brought him in. He knew that he was the, the answer to his prayer. And he departed this life. See, when you're connected to the Spirit of God and connected to God's life, you see things the way God sees them. You don't see things. He wasn't just another baby that was brought in to be dedicated, you know, and all that kind of thing. And he says, seeing your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. To, alight, to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken so they are passing on knowledge these people that they connect with in a spiritual sense are passing along knowledge of the identity of their child to them it's being confirmed to the parents that their child is Jesus the Messiah it says and Simeon blessed them verse 34 said to his mother Mary behold this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against yes a sword shall pierce your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed and so jesus jesus life is a life that will affect many it will be so many and he said the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed So in dealing with Christ, how we deal with him reveals the condition of our hearts. And that's still true. How you deal with Jesus reveals the condition of your heart. And so... He says, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phineal of the tribe of Asher, and she was a great age, and had lived without a husband, uh, had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore years. Now she, her husband, had not been dead eighty-four years. That was her age. Okay, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers day and night, and she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise to the Lord and spoke of Him of him to all that looked for redemption in jerusalem so we have the first preaching of the gospel there you got me first preaching of the gospel is right there at the birth of jesus so she's preparing the hearts of people long before it's revealed uh through christ through his works as an adult through his ministry as an adult she's preparing the hearts of people to receive him so really There were people who knew who Christ was before he was born, during his infancy, at the temple, throughout his life. It was revealed his true identity to anybody who was seeking him. And so the identity of Christ is never hid from anybody, folks. In other words, you can preach the gospel to anybody at any time. It's it's available to everybody. And it says then they <clears throat> verse 39 when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city Nazareth and the child grew. Okay? This is what we want. This is you can mark this for your own children or your grandchildren claim this for them this is an expectation of anybody who has the spirit of christ or who who is in a godly household he grew he waxed strong in spirit that's where you want the strength you want it strong not in their minds and not in their bodies but in their spirit and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of god was upon him see the the uh, divine empowerment to do good. See? To do all good. This is in verse 40, 41. So we'll drop down there. We'll see further growth in Jesus. So number one. He was strong in his spirit. Filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. He had favor with God. He had ability in God. To live his life. In verse. Let me see. We can start in 41. Yeah. 41 now his parents went to jerusalem every year at the feast of passover and when he was 12 years old something unusual happened at 12 years old they went up to jerusalem after the custom of the feast now they had done that every year when they had fulfilled the days as they returned the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother were not aware of it and so there's probably a a group or a caravan of people and they always see if he's missing and they don't detect it is because he's always obedient he's always with them and so they assume that he's with them the way he always is but something is happening to him at this age. Now we know in the Jewish tradition, even now at age 12, they have what's called a bar mitzvah. And in those days, it wasn't the kind where you brought out the good corned beef and the the caviar and you know, all that kind of stuff. But it was a temple. You know, you went to the temple for the feast as you usually did. But he's now turning into what the Jews commonly refer—age uh, twelve—is the time when they say a Jewish young boy becomes a man, which means that that they start preparing him for his career. They start preparing him for his livelihood outside of the family, preparing him to be a husband and a father, to be responsible. So then uh, adult responsibility begins to fall on the shoulders of these young men. Uh, they, They decide... You know, is it going to be my son the doctor or my son the attorney? You know, it's my son the doctor is usually preferable, (laughs) you know, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. And then then in their culture and their tradition, uh, they teach responsibility and uh, uh, and the importance of uh, a good livelihood, uh, responsible livelihood to their children at very early ages. And that's still very true. And so, uh, it says they had fulfilled, I'm sorry, when we said they went up to the, the feast, um, yeah, and when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, Joseph and his mother didn't know of it, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. So they were accustomed to allowing him the freedom to intermingle perhaps with children of his own age or they had a group of children uh, carrying on and it was uh, assumed I think that the other adults in the company kept an eye on one another's children that kind of thing but they went a day's journey before they even realized he was missing. And they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances, and when they didn't find him, they turned back again to Jerusalem looking for him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Hearing them and asking them questions. So in other words, he's doing what a young Jewish boy is expected to do. He's in the temple because he knows his life work will be ministry. And so he's acquainting himself with the current knowledge that is is known in his business, so to speak. And so as he's listening and asking questions, that is a sign of submission and respect. Jesus did not go in at 12 years of age trying to lord it all over everybody because he's still a young man. He's still growing. And this is so important because everything he does is appropriate to a normal person at that age. and that's a good thing because if you can if you can stay in a normal growth pattern until God does something different with you it's it makes it so much better for you in the long run for your ministry your reputation your relationship he already has the favor of God on his life he doesn't need to prove anything to anybody he doesn't need to try and out question anybody but he does ask questions of them and it says, and all that heard him was astonished at his understanding and answers. Well, of course, he's he's the the uh, uh, creator of the universe, but at the same time, he submitted to the will of the Father. So the Father's only releasing through him what knowledge he needs to release to people around him to make what he's doing acceptable, you see. So Jesus here uh, begins at a very young age to understand the things things of god and you can see that repeated uh oftentimes in people who are called to the ministry now if they grow up in the things of god and they're under sound teaching and sound doctrine they get wisdom far beyond their years at 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 very beginning. You know, sometimes people will make that remark about small kids who have wisdom and can come up with the right answer. Oh, he's an old soul. They'll say things like that. Or, where'd you get that wisdom? Oh, you have a lot of wisdom. That kind of stuff. Well, that's from the Spirit of God. You know, if you stay obedient... To your parents you stay obedient to authority figures in your teachers you know the law all these things you stay obedient and stay under authority it'll shock you how much God can take control of your mind and use your mind for good things and so they were uh, people were just astonished at at his at his answers verse 48 and when they saw him they were amazed and his mother said to him son why have you done this to us like any normal parent you know they're nervous about the kid but when they find the kid okay then the the anger (laughs) that they felt you know it really is in there and i'm sick of this kid doing this to me so she takes it as a sign of disobedience and a personal insult to them as parents you know, uh, parents have to be careful about that. Everything your children do that's against what you are telling them is not a sign of them disrespecting you. Right. You know, sometimes the kids make a mistake. Sometimes they think they're right and they're not. Sometimes they just have questions. You know, they just want to understand things and know things. And so parents really have to be up on their game. You know, you because you might have a kid that's wise way beyond their years and they'll blow your little mind. You know, you'll be up late at night trying to read books to try to keep up with them sometimes and so uh it's not always the way it appears let's put it that way and i think it was true for jesus and it's probably true for for other people as well and so he says my father and i have sought you and we were sorrowful about it and then jesus flips the script on them a little bit and he said to them how is it that you were looking for me don't y'all pray That's really what this is saying. If you had talked to the father about me, you'd know where I was. Huh? He said, you should have known. I got one on y'all. You should have known where I was. Huh? Many times we run off upset about things and don't seek the father. And then we run off half cocked, doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. We're all embarrassed and everything. He said, didn't you know? that I was about my father's business. So what this really represents, this this little passage right here, is there this is an abrupt departure from the parents, natural parents being the sole custodians over Jesus' life. And now he's transitioning over into his heavenly father being the sole custodian over his life. And I think that's important to know. When your children start to get a little bit bigger or get into their teenage they should be handed over more into God's leading if they know God. Now, don't be stupid. Don't tell your kid they're an adult and you don't give them enough God to keep them out of trouble. Uh, their teens, they shouldn't be looking for their teen years so that they can go on dates and they can be out late. Now, you know, people tend to look. This is the way the world does things. It's always giving them what, what, It's always more freedom to do nothing instead of freedom to learn how to be responsible and go God's way a little bit more it's freedom to have freedom for nothing there's no good purpose while your child should be out just because the other kids are doing it there's no good purpose for them to be out till midnight or there's no good purpose for them to start dating and they don't understand where the date is leading to you got me and so these are things that we have to look at this as a teaching lesson for us as human beings and as uh you know parents future parents adults yourself where's where's your life are you about your father's business if you're out of your parents control are you about your father's business verse 50 they understood him not they didn't understand what he was saying he went down with them to Nazareth and was subject to them. So he obeyed his parents. That was the one departure he made. When he got to Jerusalem, he, he was so taken by the temple and by the knowledge that was coming forth, he wanted to stay a little bit longer. So if you're a parent and you know your kid has an interest in something that's wholesome for him and good for him, learn how to work that in into the family schedule. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like this. Jesus is saying to them, you know what? I'm 12 years old. It's time for me to be uh, thinking about my vocation. You're going to have to make some plans for me to spend more time in the things of God see what we get in our family bible study or at the temple or whatever you know their usual was was not enough to feed his spirit and so he's needing more time to focus on the things of God understanding how the temple works understanding what the knowledge is of the average priest the average teacher there in the synagogue all this stuff he's kind of trying to put it all together now to understand how his ministry is going to go and how his ministry is going to function as he has to fit in with their their normal uh, normal way of doing things in the in that that religious system but yet stay faithful to God and so it says his mother kept these things and pondered them in her heart and you'll see that to be true about Mary. On several occasions of things that happened to him that were very distinctive but puzzling while he was a child but she didn't act on them she knew and she understood how to when things came uh, into the lives of her not just Jesus but I'm sure all of her children that she would just if she didn't understand them she would ponder them in her heart and that's where the spirit of god resides that's where he can speak to us and so she's able to get answers there and in verse 52 jesus again is increasing say he's increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with god and with man so he's not a troubled teenager he's not a backslidden teenager he's not a problem teenager he's subject to his parents but he's also subject to god the father now because he needs to come apart as as an adult he's getting to be an adult man and he needs to be prepared for his earthly work which he knows will be ministry so he's about his father's business he's doing what god the father tells him to do he's also interjecting into the minds of his parents you're going to have to start now checking with God the Father about me see this is very important to know because there are things that his family will help him with in the future That include him having to his parents having to have a, a greater relationship with God the Father as well. So really Jesus in this respect he's beginning to evangelize his family he's beginning to bring his family into a greater relationship with god you know we we talk about things like that how we're called the household salvation joshua said for me and my house we'll serve the lord he made up his mind he wasn't going to have any strays running around his house everybody was going to be under god and so it's the same thing with jesus he's bringing his family in to a greater relationship with god the father so uh, in Mark chapter one, let me turn there and see you Mark. I want to stay and put my little marker in Luke three mm-hmm. Mark chapter one, I think it's verse nine I want to go to. <clears throat> we'll see. The water baptism of Jesus, because it kind of leaves off there. We don't see anything much about his life or anything at all that I can, can see in scripture, recall in scripture, uh, between that time and then the time of his, uh, announcing his ministry and calling disciples, uh, to himself. And so in, in, uh, Mark chapter one, verse nine, We see the preaching of John the Baptist and we know that John was a forerunner for Jesus prophets always announce transitions uh, uh, times they kind of prepare the people have warned the people to prepare the hearts their hearts for the coming of uh, uh, an outpour of God's spirit a new move of God a transition They're transition type people uh, but when the transition is made they have a function there too but they always announce uh, anything that's coming that's different so John the Baptist announces the coming of jesus uh to do his ministry uh it says in verse seven uh john was clothed uh you know he lived out in the desert he was a an Essene is what they called his group of people. Uh, they lived very, very much apart uh, from the rest of the world. And you can see the condition of the world at that time. You see why. If you really wanted to live for God, you couldn't just pal around with everybody. So they stayed strict to the scriptures. They were devoted uh, to God, Verse 6, John was clothed with camel's hair, with a girdle of skin about his loins, did eat locusts and wild honey, and priests saying, there comes one mightier than I after me. John always pointed to Jesus, never wanted to take any credit for anything himself. The latchet of his shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So this becomes the hallmark of Jesus' life. Even from age 12 on, we see him as an adult man. He is still pursuing, doing the will of the Father. And that becomes his, his, uh, security. That becomes his judge, his, uh, leader. Everything is a father now has taken over full control in Jesus life. He has to in order for Jesus to be successful. But look at the time between Jesus first kind of was turned over to his father for discipline and the time it is now. When you first come into the things of the kingdom, God doesn't just mature people overnight. There's almost no way you can, even even as us as sinners, Jesus never knew any sin. He was always obedient, but still he needed to be trained by the Father. Learning how to even live in this world and be a wise person to hold on to wisdom and knowledge and understanding, not give in to the flesh, not let things be intimidating to you, it takes a great deal. Of discipline and this relationship with God the Father is the one thing that is primary throughout Jesus' life and ministry. This is the cornerstone of his life, and it's not God told me as a cop out for things, but it's really being led by the Father through relationship with Him. So we see him being baptized in water, and Jesus explained later that he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He didn't skip it over because skip over it because people were uh, that was a requirement there if they were receiving the teaching of John. You got me? Later on, we see the baptism in the Holy Spirit being something somewhat superior to water baptism even though water baptism isn't done away with it's really the indwelling and infilling of the holy spirit that gives the believer the power even people who were water baptized were told you shall receive power after the holy ghost has come upon you remember apollos he preached in only knowing john's baptism And there was a greater baptism that came from Jesus. One was man baptizing. And that was symbolic of your washing away sins out of the old life and committing to the new life. So one symbolic, the other one is spiritual, totally spiritual. And so that baptism in the Holy Spirit is what equips you for life and for ministry in God's kingdom. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch that had received the Holy Ghost and they said well why should we forbid what's what's there to forbid us from the, the Holy Spirit's already approved of him you got me and so you have to understand these things because you know people ask you these kind of questions well if you're baptized in water are you saved or what are you saved by you're saved by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit he's the one who saves you he's the one who witnesses to the the change that's been made of you in your heart through Jesus Christ so John talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit being superior to what he's doing he's always saying that and so when your little Baptist friends want to challenge you With they've been water baptized. You tell them this baptism is superior to that one. And you take them to where John told them. You know I'm baptized but you're going to get something way bigger than this. And those of us who have received both of them. Or received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Know it's superior to uh, anything you can do getting yourself wet. I think it's good because it does fulfill all righteousness. I have nothing against water baptism. But I know when you can't water baptize people. You can get them baptized in the Holy Spirit to fulfill all righteousness so anyway in, uh, his bapt- Jesus' baptism in water was done to fulfill all righteousness in other words nobody could say he was being rebellious to John's teaching That's why that was done. Uh, So John describes Jesus' ministry to a degree here because he, uh, being a prophet, was was privy to that kind of knowledge. That there would come a day where believers would be empowered in such a degree that Jesus would would validate their works and their acts with signs following. In Mark one thirty five, we see also Jesus chasing his donkeys, doing the will of the Father is to do these kind of ordinary things just to make sure that he's being wise in what he does. So these are our wisdom uh, wisdom things that he does are uh, things that we do in obedience to the authority over these us these are wisdom things that we do. Uh, they are things that you do <coughs> to keep your soul in a place of obedience. To authority, to wisdom, and to power. When you start to find your mind attacking, criticizing, and putting down authority, knowledge, and, and greater things, you're losing your grip on wisdom. You're going to step over and do something that's not wise and, and, and a little foolish because you start to lose your grip on wisdom. So Jesus did some things that, that were wise things to do and he did it as a matter of routine and a matter of habit. And in Mark one thirty five we see him, he rose up a great while before day. Now he had to do this because of the demands that were on him in his normal everyday life. You do what you have to do in order to prepare yourself for your day. There may have been some times where he could sleep late and not get up so early. But this day, it says, he rose up a great while before day and went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. This is why you seclude yourself. Because when you have the favor of God, the power of God, the knowledge of God upon you, there's always people who are drawn to it. And when they found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. If you've got people that you think don't want God, don't fool yourself. Everybody does. All men seek for thee. The atheist has given up on God because he's been told that there's no God and it's been comfortable for him to believe that. The religious person thinks he has God. You see what I'm saying? The Muslim thinks he has God. All these religious people think they have God, but they're everybody seeking after God. And he said to them, let's go into the next towns that I may preach there also for that's where I came. So Jesus, in preparing himself for his ministry, would get up early, it seems. that This was his, his routine, his boring routine that we think is boring all the time. I've, I don't know how many times I've decided to go through the Bible, uh, the whole Bible every year you know i'll i'll grab some some part of it you know through the you know just do a guided thing so you don't cheat and miss anything even though you know i do read the word and I, I you know not as much as i probably could you can never read the word too much but anyway it's it's one of those things where uh you know you you want to do it you decide to do it And you say, I'm going to do it. And then after three days, oh, I forgot to, you know, even though you got a phone, you play with your phone all the time. It's got a Bible on there. You don't go to that Bible so much, you know, as you do the other things. And so, but Jesus had a discipline about him that had been incorporated into his life since he was a child. Never deviated from those patterns, and I think that's the advantage of raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You give them an advantage that perhaps you didn't have, and children who don't know the Lord don't have either. There's this edge that they have. Then you got to fight to keep that sometimes. You know, Jesus here, you see him kind of fighting to hold on to it. This routine that some people might find boring, not as exciting is going doing miracles and preaching and all that kind of stuff but still it's got to be done in order for us to have the external evidence of a life with god it's the behind the scenes relationship that really uh equips you for the external evidence it's not the the people that you associate with you know i i would Sometimes, you know, I, I, I would look at people that, you know, would find fault with the ministry. You know, most people, when you're in a school of ministry, they think they're going, you're going to tell them to get up and preach one day. Well, I can't tell you to get up and preach. God's the only one who can do that. He's got to anoint you to do that. People don't know that. They think that that's a function of another human being, either saying yes or no. See, people who don't respect authority have no clue how it works. They always make that mistake. They fight authority throughout their lives. And then when they get to a point where they think they want to really do something for God. They find that they have no relationship with authority. And so they don't know how to respond to it in an adult fashion. See God will use people to help you get where he wants you to go. But you got to make sure that you know God wants you there and if he wants you there he'll make sure you get there if you stay obedient to God and so people are never your problem when you know God he said he'll call your enemies to be at peace with you I've had people that that Bless me and didn't want even like me, didn't want to bless me. I've had people that refuse to come to our meetings because they don't want to sit under anybody, and but they yet they'll send you an offering or they'll send other people to your meetings. Like, oh, yeah, you got to go over there. You know, the watchmen know how to do that, but they won't go themselves because they have issues. You know, everybody got little issues somewhere. But this was Jesus' chasing donkeys. He'd go right back under the father's authority. He knew when it was time to go talk to his father. And he would pull himself apart and go and do that. And so his relationship with the father stayed as a cornerstone of his life. It's Any adult who's going to be successful has got to have certain things built into their routine that they don't change. And so, when we find that we have God has put you on a program, and certain things uh, are worked into your routine that don't change you know you don 't change uh, the, the you know the people that god you know when God found you and you didn't know nothing about him, the people that spoon fed you and taught you and taught you how to walk get up on your little weak ankles and feeble knees and you know learn how to pray and get your needs met and all that kind of stuff until they let go of you and release you or whatever you stay with that you know, you don't see Jesus saying, Well, you know, I got it all now, Dad. I don't need you. He never never disconnected. It's the same thing. It's not that people are God, but when God places people in your life, there those people are there as valuable to your life and not to be disconnected from. If God even if you get on in your own in ministry, you need people that you can counsel with, you need people to pray for, you need you can run into problems out there. And wish you had friends that knew knew how to get revelation and help you get revelation from God, and so those relationships, the early ones, are are very very important uh, until they're they're ch- now some people are just gonna you know not want you there. And that's something totally different. But if you're not rejected and you're always welcome there, you sh- you need to know when to stay connected. And so Jesus always stayed connected to the Father. We see him praying in a solitary place, spending time with the Father, not letting anybody interfere with that. You know, oftentimes when people get married and have a family, that becomes their excuse for not going to church regularly, or maybe not getting there on time. You know, and uh, I've seen. I've watched it over the years I see people use their children as excuses well you know the kids held me up and they got grandkids and the grandkids are holding them up and so <laughs> you know you know for a fact that that's not the problem the problem is them once you start finding excuses you can always find excuses you know it becomes a crutch for you to lean on because you don't want to trust God fully you don't want to give him everything you still want to hold on to something for yourself and so the challenge then becomes uh, to obey the father you see what I'm saying? And, and and Jesus will be challenged in this respect a little bit we see. And that's over in Mark chapter 3. Are you going to keep meet, meet, uh, keep those meetings with the Father in the solitary place? Where you don't let anybody in. And you don't let any distractions come in. And Mark chapter 3. Let me see. Verse... Yeah, starting in verse 31. says, there came then. This is after his ministry has started. He's preaching now. Came his brethren and his mother standing without and calling unto him. Now, here's a situation where Jesus is preaching to a multitude of people. And they're all sitting down, listening to him preach. And his family comes up. Trying to Bogart the meeting, you know, uh, is like, well, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, huh? You mean you're here? We want you to come over here. You know, uh, trying to do the power play because they don't understand what's going on here and that's something that's that's typical of family the bible says a prophet is not is not without honor except to his own kin and his people in his own hometown now sometimes people can still see you as somebody that's natural they don't see the gift they see it some but they don't want to accept it totally they'll be sometimes the last people to accept the totality of your calling. Sometimes you know it'll be uh, kin folks or siblings who always want to remind you. Remember that time when we stole so and so and so and so from such and such. You know they always want to bring your sins back up again, but your sins are forgiven. You understand? And so this is this typical. This is the way it is, folks. You know people don't like to admit this kind of stuff, but it's the way it is. Or they'll continue to find if they find a fault it's like they're satisfied you know it's i found something on them you know oh boy they did this wrong and it's hard for them to let it go and they'll keep banging it and beating it forever you know uh, and so we have to understand these things about people who tend to want to still know us after the flesh you know it's it's kind of hard for them to let go of that or let go of that thing that that family members sometimes want to be special when you either want to ride on the coattails of your anointing and your ability because they think that's due them they want to be lifted up in some way you know typically they talk about preachers kids but it extends to the whole family you know uh, preacher kid preacher wife preacher husband I don't know how many women are in pulpits now because of the women's movement more than because of what God is doing for them. You know, they've got to have some title uh, because the husband has a title. And so we, we have to be careful about these things and continue to do the will of the father. So there, instead of them sitting down and listening to the sermon, they're over there, you know, standing off to the side trying to pull him away. And the multitude sat about him and they said to him, Behold. Your mother and your brethren are looking for you. And this word without keeps being repeated. Without. Without. On the outside. On the outside. Your family members don't have to be on the outside. They can be on the inside. But they've got to obey God just like you're obeying God. But they'll oftentimes stand on the outside trying to draw you away from God instead of staying in the things of God and so you gotta be careful about that stuff if you're following God and you got family members that think and the first thing well you don't spend enough time with us and you don't do this with us and you don't do that well I want you to do this and I'm because they're on the outside that's their life and sometimes you have to let people have their life and you have yours And say, I love you, but I'm moving on with God. That's not for me. You know, don't depend on me to be there all the time. Because I might have to do something else. You know, you always give them that little warning. And uh, because you you need to have that freedom to obey the Father. You can't let anybody have that. Uh, You know, I I was married. And I know that you can't let a husband kind of start making plans for you. Especially when you start feeling that pull, that thing negative thing or that jealous thing trying to pull you away from what god has you doing and so and and eventually they either accept it let you alone learn to respect it or they'll fall in line with it so it's up to them but you still got to obey god and so he says your mother and brethren without looking for you and he answered them saying who is my mother or my (laughs) then he looked about on them which sat around him he said behold these are my mother this is my family now, see, I have a family that's born of the Spirit of God, and this is my family. I know them in laws and outlaws out there screaming for me to come over, but that ain't really my family right now. You got me? And so we have to know uh, when to connect with the family of God exclusively and what time is set apart for family there's time set apart for family things but I'm telling you there's usually a lot more conflict than there is harmony if they're not saved if they're saved it's a major blessing if they're saved and obeying God it's even a bigger blessing some of them are saved the people are in various degrees of obedience and all of that kind of stuff and then some of them just can't get over your your life with God. It's always to them. It's always you don't have to do all that. It's too excessive. Well, you know how she is. You know, I kind of yeah, I am. <laughs> I I confess, I am that way, and I'm not making any excuses for it. So here's Jesus's challenge to obey the Father. So in that respect, he's just like us. We get we get challenged. Uh, we get uh, uh, questioned. We get. Uh, pulled away or try to get pulled away but he's able to overcome that challenge and he's able to do it in a way where he explains to them in very short terms uh, what he's doing and who his real family is in other words now i'm married to the father in the sense that i have ministry responsibilities i have a greater relationship with the father through this to the degree that now i've made my own family you see what i'm saying and so and as believers we have a family that god births us into through the new birth and we are connected with those individuals and very often that will be your primary family on earth and your natural family will take more of a secondary role even even you know if they're saved and when they're saved so um jesus goes about Doing the things that he does. In obedience to the Father. He begins to choose his disciples as well. So he begins to move in a greater depth in his ministry. By choosing people who will work uh, with him in a very close fashion. Now as he was choosing them by the leading of the Spirit. He was calling people out that God had preordained to be a part of things. God does the same thing with, with ministry now. He will send people into your midst that are God-ordained to be a part of that ministry. And so in John 2, let me see, where did he first choose his disciple? In John two chapter five, I think I'll pick up there because that's really talking about uh, his disciples having been chosen. Okay, so we, uh, as as they were chosen, Jesus began to preach, but his his ministry, his miracle ministry, had needed something else before that would take off, and I think that's important to note because many times people chase miracles in their ministry because of the attention that they bring you know and that's really not what he was after he really wasn't after that and i think it's good to note that he had already chosen disciples he had always already been doing his ministry and in john chapter one at the end of it we see jesus calling the twelve unto himself and he he calls uh uh, Simon and, and you know uh, his brother and and then uh, Nathaniel, uh, Peter, Andrew, and Peter, and uh, he begins to they begin to follow him, and they don't want to go home. They want to stay uh, with his teaching. That was typical of how uh, religious teaching was done. It wasn't done in two hours on Sunday in an hour and a half at a midweek service. And when you were really being discipled by God, your lifestyle was, was judged, the way you dealt with your family was judged. They live more like the Old Testament company of prophets did. That's the way John the Baptist did with his group, etc., etc. Um, this business of getting a certificate and then just going off and doing things, that has been borrowed from the world. And come to the church. Even the church during the middle ages when there wasn't a lot of light. They had communities that they lived in where they taught people every day. Your personal behavior was scrutinized. We have people now in the church that think when people ask them how they're doing. And and try to encourage them to believe God for things. They get offended because they think people are in their business. You got me? And so this is something that's never true of a true Christian community. True Christian community, um, the people care about one another. It's always the people who believe that, that people love them and are concerned about them, that always get the biggest big benefit in God. They get the miracles, they get the attention they get the right attention at the right time you always love always prevails see love will never fail you when you walk in love with people and you're not suspicious of them and you're not some kind of outsider trying to get in and trying to prove you're like everybody and get all that pressure on you when you get free of that and just live in covenant with people you know live the love covenant you love people because God commands you to love them and you You assume the best about them you don't assume nobody anybody's trying to harm you because they ask you if you have a need you assume that god has sent them to help you because that's what you would do you got me you're supposed to be doing that for other people yourself and I think the more you participate in the life of of the body of believers that you're connected to, uh, the less wall building there is, the less you feel conspicuous and, and out of place. You feel more like you're a part of things. But that's up to you to connect with that in the right way. See, it's up to the individual. Many times people come into a, a congregation and they want to challenge everything and then make that, group of people conform to what they think should be done that's typical and that to me that's the same tantrum you know the old inner tantrum you're throwing a tantrum again because you don't really understand God and what you're trying to do is make people what you have in your mind is your fantasy about what a real good church is about most people think a good church is one that does what they want them to do when they want to do it when they show up And they forget that that church has functioned before they got there. And when they're not feeling like being around people, that church still goes on. And so that's an immature way of looking at uh, God's body and the things of God. And so God wants us to grow up into the right way and relate to people in the right way and not be afraid of people that God places in your life. Because they are placed in your life for good. So that fear of man will leave you if you make up your mind you're going to love people. And you know what love is. So you've got to go to the Bible to find out what love is. And let God pull that out of you. And let it be shed abroad out of your heart. Sometimes people will get, uh, well I'm tired of so and so. You know, I, I learned years ago not to let that word come out of my mouth. Because that your flesh talking, your flesh is tired of giving way to your spirit and letting your spirit live. If you let your spirit live all the time, you find that you have a lot of patience with things that set you off when you're you know when you're in the flesh and so it, this is a matter of training yourself uh, to stay in the flow of God's spirit and in the flow of God's power. And so here Jesus is has chosen his disciples in in John chapter 1 and in John chapter 2 we see his miracle ministry now is beginning to take off because he has the the disciples with him at this time they're all called to this marriage and there's a little bit of trouble at the wedding feast there's lack in their provision at the wedding feast when there's lack of provision godly people pray got me godly people pray when there's lack of provision it's interesting jesus had a public ministry but his miracles begin in a private setting there's you know and and to me this is something i always encourage people in when uh They're believers who think that God won't use them in certain ways. You know, He'll use you to lay hands on the sick. The Bible says that you'll do that. Start with whoever is in your vicinity that's not well. And if you're in a family setting, it's the husband, the children, the dog, the goldfish, the cat. And so it'll always, often be a private setting where this anointing will come upon you. You don't have enough experience to be having meetings somewhere and have strangers depending upon you for their health. Come on now. Even when God puts you there, you feel kind of inadequate. You know what I'm saying? Until you get the hang of it. Oh yeah, that's right. God's going to be with me. He's called me to do this. He's going to be with me every time. That kind of stuff. But this jump from from just sitting on a pew to having a platform is something that I just can't get with. I don't i don 't think that 's genuine uh, i don 't think God does that because there 's no evidence in Scripture that it works that way you know you'll you 'll start to preach, but you 'll start as a believer you 'll be responsible first in your own household it 's the way Moses did it, then he was chosen for leadership out of that level of responsibility, and so the disciples then are attending this. This wedding with Jesus, and and uh, Jesus' mother comes to him and says, They're out of wine. And he says, uh, You know, he says, What do you want me to do? He says, My hour's not yet come. So, what he's saying is, I know what you want, but I don't sense it, I'm not feeling it. Got me? Well, he's probably not feeling it because he hasn't asked the father if it's time for him yet. You know, like This is another one of those family things. Jesus is so accustomed to his family not recognizing him as a minister. He's without honor there. Off and on, sometimes they they sense it. Sometimes they don't. It seems like his mother's the last person he thinks would be aware that he's anointed for ministry or anything like that. So he just goes, you know, oh, Ma, come on now, you know, don't tell me about their problems. His mother said to the servants, "Whatever he says to you, do it." Now, obviously, Mary had spoken to the father about him. Remember when he was twelve. He accused them of not talking to his father (laughs) about him. So I think his mother learned how to talk to his father about him after that. You think? His mother says to the servants, Whatsoever he says to you, do it. And so we see the, 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 the beginning of miracles. Verse 11, we know the story that that the water was changed into wine. Jesus went ahead and obeyed the father even though his mother had input into it. And this is something that's very important also that you keep respect for godly authority even though you can hear from God on your own. Oftentimes those authorities will confirm and agree with what God wants you to do. If there's ever disagreement, then you have to humble yourself and ask God and pray about it and see what God wants you to do. And so uh, it says in verse 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him very important because here you have 12 men that he's talked about the kingdom with he's pulled them out they follow him they've seen him pray they've seen him but there's been no manifestation of the glory of God yet and so these manifestations of the glory of God are convincers of people that God is with you Many times God is waiting for us to pray for our children or pray for the family or pray for something. And we're mad because they don't serve God. You see what I'm saying? Instead of stepping in, understanding what an open door is from God and stepping in that open door. See, the door may, be, may not be the door you think you want opened, but a door is a door i remember in praying for my husband to 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 know the lord and god would tell us tell me we'll just begin praying over your food and i'm expecting you know the sky to open up and angels to fall down just because i want him saved you know i'm looking for spectacular and god gives you simple very simple things Most people, when they know you are a Christian, and especially if you're the head of the household, you're the mother, the father, uh, grandparent, great-grandparent, whatever it is, they will expect you to want things like this done. They don't expect to just come in and sit down to a meal and everybody dig in. But it's your responsibility to lead them in these things. See, we're waiting for them to get it together, but when they, but they need leadership. Whenever God does something, He does it through leaders, folks. And this is where Jesus is proving His relationship with the Father, and He's stepping into greater leadership because it's time. And the mother recognizes that it's time you got me and so we we have to realize what it's time for you know uh i know when I, i'm with people uh if they're they're even in a restaurant you know when we sit down to eat we'll we'll bless the food i don't eat anything without blessing it and, you know, if somebody is that adamant you don't bless food, you don't eat with them. You got me? They're enemies. You don't want to break bread with enemies. And so, but but I think it's, it's very, very important that we recognize that, that leadership quality that needs to be there. And that's how people begin to see the glory of God through you, is through different things like this. I can remember praying one time uh at a, a banquet at my husband's job and uh, the people there you know they, they knew i was a minister and so uh his boss told me he said can you can you bless the food for us and i said sure you know i'll do that and from that time on that's what that's what we did when i was there and people appreciated it you know you see there were sinners. they had some of well you know like a waiter would say i haven't been to church and said so, it was so nice when you prayed in here you know they serve liquor all the time and then god comes in because somebody blesses the food you got me you gotta know an open door folks see it didn't hurt my feelings that they asked me to bless the heathen plate you know some ministers just don't even compute on that level you know they'd be offended or something like that you know anything you know any kind of goofy idea can come in your mind but an open door from God's an open door folks you know they're they're probably at some point somebody thought about gee we had god in here tonight or it was really nice in here i really like that prayer you know and there's nothing special sometimes about the prayer it's just it's god's timing in these things you know you don't have to have a time to prepare to pray over food you just do it as the spirit leads and so god jesus then begins his miracle ministry god begins to manifest his glory through him after this uh miracle at cana at galilee It says after this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. And they continued there a long time. And so his ministry begins to increase after this first miracle is performed. Miracles always get a lot of attention because that's how God plans it folks God plans it you don't have to tell people how many miracles you get or anything like that you know what I'm saying you don't have to buzz with them and try to convince them that God's with you uh and and there are things that that need to be part of your resume you know if you have a miracle ministry and people are looking for that I'm glad to see that sometimes on a website when you're reading about somebody because you know something about uh the degree of experience and so forth they have in God you know what to expect of of them, but I'm talking about just talking to people all the time about how God's using you and, and that kind. Of, you don't need to do that. Uh, God will will broadcast for you. Many times Jesus would tell people not to tell anybody what had transpired when a miracle went forth. And so Jesus then uh, begins to teach and to preach and to minister. Now, in John 3:16, Jesus begins to explain to people the finer points about ministry. And he talks about salvation and everlasting life. Up till then, The kingdom was preached. John the Baptist preached the kingdom. Jesus always preached the kingdom. But then he talks about an extension of this kingdom over into eternal life. So Jesus then begins to give full disclosure to people about this kingdom life. Okay, it starts here. People get healed. They get delivered but is there anything lasting in it yeah there's something lasting there's eternal life where you won't perish after this life is over and then he begins to speak about handing the reins over to people because he's not going to be here all the time and so He begins to expound on his relationship to the father and how important that relationship is and begins to include others as children of God in this relationship. There's a lot of work Jesus has to do in this short period of time. He's got to let people know that God's with him. He's got to let people know that he's anointed and and that's great, but he's got to get the global plan out there the the bigger plan out there and so in John chapter five, Jesus begins to expound somewhat on on this this relationship uh that's going to come forth and so uh he's talking about five seventeen he says, "My father works hitherto, and I work." Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but he also said God was his father, making himself equal with God. And so here we see Jesus talking in more detail about his relationship to the Father as his son. He talks about how they relate to one another. In verse 19, "The son can do nothing by himself but what he sees the Father do." So here we see the standard of sonship is imitating the father he says for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he does in other words men when you love your children you begin to teach them the things that are appropriate to do you start to teach them how to be successful in life He says, and will show him greater works than these, that you may take note of them, or you may marvel. So Jesus is saying, my my exposure and my ministry and my miracles are going to increase, so that you'll know that the Father is alive. You'll know the works of the Father. He says, for as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, so the Son will do the same thing. So he talks about the ministry of raising the dead. The father judges no man but has committed all judgment to the son. So here we see an authority passed on from father to son that all men should honor the son. So. Jesus is saying there will be power given to the sons of God so that they can judge in certain matters because the Father has left them this so that people can honor them. So then there's an honor that comes on all the the descendants of God or, or the ones that accept the Lord. He says, I truly say to you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life you got to believe in the Father and the Son. It's not a Jesus-only type ministry. He says, I say to you, the hour is coming now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. In other words, he's talking about his descent into hell. So Jesus begins to give full disclosure of his ministry from the beginning to the end. He talks about the time of judgment. In verse 29, people will come forth. And he talks about all judgment being given to him. So people who hear him preach have a full understanding of who he is. And that understanding is based on his relationship with the Father. He talks about the relationship he had with John the Baptist and about witnessing for him. Uh, all of that is is done to to help people to understand fully who he is so that there can be no no questions you know Jesus answers all questions he's the summation of all things and so anything that we want to know about spiritual matters about the truth of God about the truth of God and man all that comes through the ministry of Jesus I always say it's something really to be coveted and studied you know the ministry of Jesus so that you You can understand fully uh, what God has done through his son. So he's able then to pull all of this together. He talks about a future where he will judge the world, go down into hell. And so then he begins to release to the people, uh, especially his disciples, the truth that he will be crucified and die and be gone for three days and then raised from the dead. In John 19, you see that, where Jesus died innocent. He didn't die for his own sins, nor did he die because he had done anything wrong. This is well established in Scripture. Uh, In John 19 and verse 6, Says when the chief priests were uh, therefore, an officer saw him. They cried out, saying, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" Pilate said to them, "You take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him." So Pilate, representing the world, washes his hands of responsibility in the death of Jesus. The Jews answered him, we have a law and by our law he ought to die. Because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was all the more afraid. Pilate's a believer. These people are unbelievers. Sometimes the religious that have a corner on truth can be bigger unbelievers than people who are heathens. We see it all the time. You'll see people come in off the streets and start hearing the gospel and get healed. As people have been sitting on a pew for years. Hey, mm-hmm. get it together. It, it's amazing. But but we have to watch that about ourselves as believers because that happened to anybody. He says, and they cried all the more. And Pilate was the more afraid. Verse 9, he again went to the judgment hall and said to Jesus, where did you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, you're not going to respond to me. In other words, this is this is your I'm giving you a chance here. This is your time to get off the hook. He said, Don't you know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus said, You couldn't do that unless the Father had put that power in your hands. See? You had no power at all against me except it were given you from above. Therefore, he that delivered me to you has the greater sin. And this is the, the Uh, Remember when um, Mel Gibson did the Passion of the Christ? This is what they made him take out of the dialogue. Because it told the truth. The Bible's not lying. But they thought this was an anti-Semitic thing to say. Because he who delivered me to you has greater sin. That's even true in natural law. You'll see people uh, that get hired to do Murder. And they'll say, well, so-and-so hired me. It used to be those people seldom got prosecuted. Now they have conspiracy laws where when you conspire to put somebody to death. And they have association laws. If you're in the room where somebody dies and you somebody's murdered, you make no attempt to save them or get them help. Then you get charged with the same thing. You put yourself at the scene of a crime and you're responsible for it. And so it's the person who delivered me into your hands has the greater sin. Because they were the ones who initiated this. It says, from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. (laughs) You got me? So they keep pressing for Jesus to be crucified. We know that Jesus does give his life. For not only he gives his life for sin. It's a, it's a, a, a um, payment for sin. And so it gets everybody free. It's not that certain people were all responsible for putting him to death. That was God's plan from the beginning. But it is what it is. You see how it's laid down in Scripture, which I think is important to stay with the things of the Spirit of God and not let yourself get over into religion. You know, religion's a killer. And so we have to be careful this is a warning to believers that once you believe you can go off the rails too and be a betrayer and a crucifier. We do it all the time with each other. We don't crucify God but we tend to crucify each other. You know with with not walking in love. And so we see Jesus, he dies innocent because Pilate washes his hands. He says he has no fault in finds no fault. But he does turn them over to the Sanhedrin and, and then he gives his permission. He signs a consent uh, for Jesus to be crucified because he's outnumbered in in their judgment. Uh, in 19 verse 27 we see Jesus taking care of people even in his crucifixion. He makes sure his mother is cared for. He's, John now becomes a son to Mary. John the disciple. And then in 20 verse 16 we see him raised from the dead just like he said. All of this having to do with the fact that he obeyed his father. A father had a plan that was much bigger than just the family plan. He had the family of God planned in mind. And I think that's always good to have a, a father that has a plan that's much bigger than just that household. And, and fathers do provide that to their children. Uh, I think mothers can make sure that kids know they're loved and nurtured. Fathers can make sure that they're prepared for the world that they can resist whatever comes against them to keep them from the good plan that the father has for them so uh the and i think that's good because we need both of that perspective in relationship with god you need to know god cares about you but you need to go further than that after you're cared for what is he leading you to care for outside of yourself and so you need the nurturing aspects of God's love, but also you need to grow up and your responsibility to make sure others partake of the love of God too. And so God the Father prepares all of that for us. And so as as we understand the routine, the everyday, <laughs> the boring, the mundane, uh, and and how important it is to our growth as believers, and and you know if God never uses you beyond you the way you get used as a believer. You fulfilled what he's called you to do. See, the believers always can do the greater part. They can always touch more people. I remember uh, uh, my friend Jan Johnson was talking about Jerry, the girl that witnessed when I uh, when I got saved. And she was witnessing just to a bunch of people in a beauty shop and mostly was made fun of. But she took it seriously when people asked her to share her testimony. She didn't uh, judge them and say, well, yeah, you don't want to hear this or you making fun of me or whatever. She just... Took that as an open door from God. And at her funeral, there were so many ministers that said she had led them to Christ. I mean, you look at what a believer can do. She was very faithful to her church. She was always there for prayer. She was always witnessing to people. She took it seriously. She knew that she was part of something. If she could just be faithful with her part, then God would be glorified through her life. And so don't ever discount the everyday things that we do in god as being i want to do something else or get bored or somebody invites you somewhere and you think it's greater and and bigger and grander and more whatever uh stay where you are in god stay where he placed you so that you can see it through and and it's nothing better than being in what god told you to do instead of being somewhere where he didn't place you so Praise God. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God that knows all things. You see all things and you help all things. And we thank you, Father, for that all knowing because we need it. We need you on our side. We need you to comfort us, to strengthen us, impart to us wisdom and knowledge and glory. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. So if anybody needs prayer,